Welcome to Tramlines, a podcast from Agri. I'm your host, Tony Smith, putting your questions to the experts. In this episode, I'm talking about sustainable food production with Amy Watkins, Sustainability Project Manager for Agri, and Rob Bowes, Agri Agronomist and Soil Specialist. We'll be looking at the Agri's Green Horizon Initiative and the use of science to help us manage our soils better to help the environment and the farmer's bottom line. Hi, Amy. Hi, Tony. Hi there. So if we can, um, I'd like to start by asking you how Agri's Green Horizons initiative is going to help farmers meet the potential future demands of, for example, the Agricultural Bill, ELMS and Net Zero. Tell me a bit about that. Um, Well, that's really why Green Horizons first arose, really, from all these challenges that and opportunities, of course, that are facing the industry um, now and over the next couple of years as we see the decline um, in BPS and other things such as climate change, um, the increasing cost and loss of crop protection products coming to the market and that sort of thing. So all of these challenges facing the industry um, have been really the creation of Green Horizons on topics such as um, how we achieve goals such as net zero that the industry is setting, um, how we increase our productivity to account for that loss of BPS payments and other areas as well. So things such as IPM, obviously with the increasing um, focus on the environment, how we can really use IPM principles to the best of their um, advantages to maximise our productivity on farm. Yeah, there's a lot there, isn't there? Yeah. That's a a lot of change in a relatively short Mm. period of time. Tell me, um, net zero, what what does it actually mean? Well, net zero is quite a, a, well, not a complicated one, but a lot of people see net zero as being the fact that we're trying to completely eliminate our emissions, whereas it's more about trying to close the cycle of carbon in our systems so the amount that we're emitting we're also trying to offset and sequester through the likes of trees which is most commonly talked about and now increasingly talked about is our soils as well so soil um, the soil's potential to sequester carbon is huge how we quantify that though is quite a complicated one so that's something that the industry is looking widely into at the moment in terms of trying to develop a market for sequestering carbon in our soils so yeah net zero is really about trying to reduce how much we're emitting and increase how much we are taking in through vegetation and through our soils so rob i guess that's where you come in in terms of feet on the ground and developing that specialism that expertise in managing soils on farm so tell me a bit about how you've been approaching that soil management. Yes, I think well, the, the, the buzzword, I suppose, is uh, regenerative agriculture. That seems to be quite a popular, a popular phrase that's getting thrown around a lot at the minute. Um, there isn't a very clear definition of it, to be fair. Um, I suppose in, a, in its broadest sense, it's more about a, a systems approach. So it's looking at the natural systems to try and restore and enhance the biodiversity, the soil fertility, and just the general farm ecosystem. Um, so when you're looking at improving the soil fertility, you're looking at the, you know, the, from a biological point of view, um, also looking at the carbon sequestration, um, the water retention, and just the overall resilience of the soil, I suppose. Um, the five main factors that seem to be getting tied into VGN Ag is minimizing your soil disturbance, 
um, starts reducing the cultivation passes, you're going to be reducing the carbon footprint um, just by the reduction in the number of passes that you're doing, basically. So, so Rob, that's really interesting. Um, as Amy hinted at uh, a little bit earlier on about the the role that soils can play in terms of this carbon drawdown. What does that mean? Yeah, so there's a lot of potential for the soils to sequester a lot of the carbon emissions that the, the bigger companies are looking to offset to become carbon neutral or to reach net zero. Um, so there's quite a lot of pressure on the farmers to and the policymakers to get the to get the bits and pieces right going forward so that we can um, we can look at doing that. I mean BW have come out and they've uh, put a prediction, a predicted cost on a, a ton of carbon at around about £100 a ton. It is going to be a, a commercially viable uh, route for the farmers to go down if, if they can get it right, basically. I think it goes back to the, the principles with the regen ag. Um, it's looking at keeping the roots in the ground at all times. So if you've got a plant in the ground, that's going to be taken in the carbon dioxide. And then when that plant decomposes, or even if some of the, the leaves on the plant come off and the, the tissue starts to break down, that's going to get stored in the in the soil as organic matter, as, as active carbon, as labile carbon. Um, so that goes on. That's the food source for the for the microbes in the in the soil. So if you can keep a root in the ground for as long as you can, you're maximising the amount of carbon that's being drawn down and stored in the soil. Yeah, and, and Amy, can I just come back to something I, I read in the Green Horizons um, brochure, so to speak? Uh, am I right in, uh, in remembering that for every hectare that is managed properly from a carbon perspective is able to absorb the equivalent uh, emissions from seven motor vehicles so seven cars per every hectare have I got that right yeah well um from the work we've done so far with a number of the projects we're running um one of the main ones really being the net zero i farms um, we've been working with the carbon calculators and trying to quantify how much of an impact we can have as an industry in terms of soil carbon sequestration and also some of the main emission sources such as um fertilizer inputs fuel usage um, and other elements as well so you are you are right in saying that um if we increase our soil organic matter levels by around 0.1%, you have the capacity to absorb around nine tonnes um, of CO2 equivalent per hectare. And that's just by 0.1% per hectare. So just across a whole field, you can start to see how much of an impact we can start having by taking, for taking in carbon with increasing our soil organic matter levels. Um, and when I mention things such as CO2E as well, we're not just talking about carbon dioxide, of course, um, within the system. We're talking about other greenhouse gas emissions as well. So methane, for example, and nitrous oxide. And nitrous oxide is one that's very important within the industry because we contribute towards around 80% of the UK's greenhouse and nitrous oxide emissions. So there is a massive um, pressure on us as an industry to try and start reducing those nitrous oxide emissions. And that comes into play with things such as your soil management strategies as well. So you can start to see the links in terms of um, how important it is to manage these soils properly to reduce how much nitrous oxide we're emitting and also increase how much carbon we're taking in as well. Very interesting. And, and it clearly is very scientifically based as well. So just thinking about soils, um, I mean, soils inherently will have different levels of organic matter, won't they? And then, of course, 
again, and Robin, you might be able to comment on this, but the way in which those soils are managed in terms of cropping and husbandry and rotation will have, again, different levels of organic matter. So I'm assuming that in some soils, some fields, some parts of the country, that organic matter can be improved quite dramatically, whereas in others, it will already be at a fairly high base. That's what um, that's what makes it quite a, a difficult blueprint to try and create, really. That's why we're working with individual farmers, and it comes back to looking at working with a different type of, uh, different range of farmers, sorry. So if you've got a farm, a grassland farm, who's predominantly permanent pasture, he's gonna, he's gonna he's got roots in the ground all year round for a long period of time. So the organic matter levels there will be very high. So his ability to sequester carbon will be a lot, um, the potential there is a lot higher than say a purely arable farmer who has been solely reliant on, or some arable farmers who've been solely reliant on um, like manufactured inputs, basically synthetic inputs rather than using farmyard manure, things that have got organic matter in there. So that's where you find in um, those sort of farms will be able to build up the organic matter levels faster because um, they're at a lower, um, a lower starting point, so to speak. Sure. And, and before we move on to that research, because that indeed is very interesting, um, just for the, for the growers and farmers that are listening, when you look at these soil profiles, wh- what are you looking for now? If you go out into the field with a spade, just take a 20 centimetre by 20 centimetre um, soil pit. And if you have a look at it, you can, you can see where the compacted layers are. That'll be the first thing that you're really looking for. Look for the compaction um, and try and alleviate that to increase the, the porosity of the soil, get the roots working a lot better. And that in turn leads to an increase in the soil biological levels, really. Um, and physically look for the, the soil biology. Um, if you're looking, if you've got, if you take a plant root out of the ground and out of the out of the soil pit, um, if it's a healthy soil and it's very biologically active, you can see the the mycorrhizal populations around the roots. It's basically like a white dusting. So this is the arbuscular mycorrhiza. It's um, a symbiotic relationship between the mycorrhiza and the roots. It helps the plant to uptake the nutrients uh, to draw down the carbon. Um, they work hand in hand, but if you're in a, a soil that's heavily cultivated, um, the biological status will be significantly lower through what our soil analyses have shown as well. So you won't find the sort of mycorrhizal association. You won't see as high a level of the microbial biomass. And even to an extent, the earthworm populations, you know, if you take a dig, you can look at the earthworm holes um, looking for the anisic worms there, mainly where you've got the, they put the permanent vertical bores in the soil, so they're quite big holes to see, really, the good drainage. There's so much more than just looking for a, a compacted area within that soil profile, isn't there? Um, Amy, coming back to you and the project work that you're doing, uh, taking on from Rob's practical work in the field, what are you looking at over the next year or so? So I mentioned the, the net zero I farms, obviously, so we won't go into that again. Um, but obviously, in terms of what Rob mentioned earlier with things such as how we should be sampling um, different soil depths for carbon and what locations, what time of year we should be measuring that and the consistency as well. 
that is something we are keeping on our radar in terms of looking at the wider industry, what's going on, but also starting to see how we can look at that on um, our Green Horizons farms as well. So we're looking at these things such as sampling depths, um, trying to get consistent locations each year um, around that. And also there's things such as the farmer network, which is helping to expand on this as well. So beyond the three net zero I farms we have, we're using a network of 12 farmers based all over the country, different soil types, different farm types, um, different stages all along their journey from perhaps just starting out on their route to a more sustainable method of food um, system of food production or those that have been practicing things such as regenerative agriculture principles for quite a while. And we're really using those as kind of like test runs almost and um, things that we can perhaps use additionally to our project farms and trial more simplified trials but on a larger scale as well which is really useful in terms of the the um, plot work the trials plots that we have already taking that onto a larger scale out in the field and that's going to be really beneficial in the future in terms of looking at what does work on a wider scale and what doesn't and then also from that trying to encourage these farmers to communicate with each other from what they found what they've learned to almost help them progress pro progress quicker along that journey towards a more sustainable system um, it just kind of almost like it's you're, you've taken one year to learn one thing, somebody's taken another year to learn th one thing, put those two together and you've already skipped a year almost in terms of it, your learning. So that's that's really what we're aiming for, trying to increase um, communication throughout the sector as well. And that sharing of experience can be really, really valuable, can't it? Thinking about the farmer and growing crops and the the bottom line in terms of gross margin and profitability, how are you considering and looking at that balance between the drivers in terms of ecosystem and sustainability and that profitability? Where, where's that balance there? What are you looking at? Um, that one is quite a difficult one. As we've all kind of been talking about today, the topic around things like carbon and biodiversity, which are really important elements, but putting a monetary value on that is quite difficult at this stage. And that's really what we're hoping Elms will be able to shine a light on almost, especially around the biodiversity aspect. There's obviously been so far a lot of mention of things like hedgerows in there um, from a carbon perspective, but also a, bi a biodiversity perspective. It's really just how we quantify how much that that is what value that is obviously we know from an environmental point of view that's a great value for the future for achieving net zero and for enhancing biodiversity levels but how much we'll get paid for that through elms and also through private sector funding potentially as well with these carbon markets whether we're paid by the likes of Ryanair anybody else we don't we don't know yet but that seems to be where the story is heading more of a privately funded sector rather than government funded at the moment but nobody can really tell at this stage so we're waiting to hear on more progress from these sort of projects that are going on throughout the industry on how we can put a monetary value on um, carbon and biodiversity really yeah okay so there's there's many more questions still to be answered but rob from <laughs> our, yeah. our um conversation we had uh before today you were talking about some of the work you've been doing looking at different cultivation techniques and actually specifically direct drilling and how that can really help with the cost of uh, establishing a crop but tell me a bit more about that work on average people will say different things but on average i found that you would use between 50 to 60 liters a hectare of diesel 
on a plow power hour and combination based system. So that comes to around about £30 a hectare. So if you compare that establishment technique to direct drilling, so just the one pass, um, you're using around about nine to 10 litres of diesel. So that reduces the cost to around about £5 a hectare, just in diesel costs. So what I'm hearing is that from, from Amy, there are those longer term questions about how to make this work in terms of the the costs and uh, income for the grower. But then there's also in the short term, there's, there's work that you're doing right now, Rob, which can start to make that difference on pure diesel consumption. So that's really interesting uh, what you're both doing. Thinking about right now, uh, and I'd like you to think about this this message to our listeners today. Amy, if you had a key message for growers listening today, what would it be? I think, it, I mean, what we find so far from talking to people about the change that's happening is that mindset seems to be the biggest barrier to any change that we see. And I think we've all got to start accepting that change is needed and it's going to have to happen uh, with all of the challenges and opportunities we're being faced with. And it's how you approach that change. I think it's great. The work that we do is really useful to help support farmers um, with the different products and different um, systems that they can start looking at. But at the end of the day, the farmer's going to get gain the most by looking at what works in their system. So keeping open-minded about things and trialing new techniques. It doesn't have to be on a massive scale. It could just be in a small scale to start with. But that's going to be the best learning curve for anybody out there. And that's going that open-mindedness is really going to help anybody to progress in the future and make the most use of any opportunities that are arising. Thanks, Amy. Uh, and Rob, um, how about you? What what can farmers start doing right now this season? Any top tips? Um, I think my top tip would be probably linking it back to the mindset from what Amy has just said there is look at the soil in a different light if they can. Um, you know, don't take it for granted. You know, go and take a spade, dig a hole in the in the field, have a look, see how alive the soil is, basically. Look at the um, the biology, see if they can find anything, see what should be there and what isn't. Um, just look at the soil structure, just look at the soil as a whole um, and just see see if there's any simple ways that you can improve it. Um, and just take a step back and look at the field as a whole. You know, look at the hedgerows, look at the field margins. Is there anywhere that we can be improving the biodiversity? Can we sort of work more with nature going forward? And if we can improve the soil health, if we can increase the biodiversity within each of the fields, we're going to be improving the overall plant health, the overall crop yields, and making the farm more resilient, really. Okay, well... Thank you, Amy and Rob, today for your really interesting and thought-provoking look at how we can deliver sustainable food production now and in the future, and some great takeaway messages for us all to think about. It seems the horizons are green. That's it for this podcast, but do tune in again as we meet the experts throughout the season, exploring the many immediate and longer-term questions for growers and farmers in the UK. If you have any questions that you would like us to ask the experts, email info at agri.co.uk. See you next time.